Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Brandon. It's all right. I do it all the time. Well, uh, this morning's, uh, the schedule, uh, kind of our, our normal practice is going to be a little bit different because some of you are like, didn't we, we just, just sang a couple of songs. Like, what about those people that come in late? They're going to freak out right now. They might. It's okay. Uh, but this morning, as Brandon read, uh, we are going to be studying about prayer. And as Wes and I talked, we, we realized that it's very easy for Christians to talk about prayer, to read about prayer, to study about prayer, and not pray. So we are creating some space at the end of our time today to pray, to put into action that which we are going to see in the text. So that's kind of why we've kind of adjusted it. Don't freak out. We're not going to have anyone come up here and make you pray in front of other people. We kind of talked about that last week. But, uh, and, and certainly there will be corporate prayer on Tuesday, but it will be a time for you to engage uh, with the Lord right where you are at, so whether you're at home or whether you're here. Uh, but before we talk about prayer, let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that we can come before you because of what Jesus has done. Lord, some of us are going to come to this text and it's very familiar to us, so familiar that we just kind of gloss over it when we read it. Some of us are coming to it completely unaware of some of the significant truths that Christ has shared. And I pray, Lord, that no matter where we are at, that you'd open our eyes afresh to what it can look like to have an encounter with you, what it looks like to seek you. And I pray that you would redirect our gaze towards your kingdom and help us to think rightly about prayer uh, so that we can engage with you and enjoy that relationship uh, that we have with you because of what Jesus has done. So lead us this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, prayer simply is, is communion with God. There are lots of definitions out there about prayer, what prayer is, what prayer does, but you are communing with God, and you can commune with God because Jesus made a way for us to commune with God. If you look in the Old Testament, they didn't want to get into God's presence because you died when you got into God's presence because of imperfection. But we can come before God. We can come into his presence because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So if we've trusted in him, it opens the door for us to have relationship with the God of the universe. Now, God does care about our motives. We talked about some of those motives last week uh, in terms of not wanting to pray, you know, 
look to find a space to pray where other people can, can see us and, and look at, at us in prayer, but we need to engage with God. So he cares about our motives. He wants us to engage with him. He says, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. He doesn't want us to do this in front of others. And the reality is for us, many of us, we're just not tempted to like, you know what? I think I just want to be seen praying on the street corner. For us, we struggle with prayer in different ways uh, in, in our heart motives. Many of us are motivated to pray simply by guilt because we think, well, God, God's not going to accept me if I don't pray, so I better make some time to pray because he's, he's not going to love me. Or we might be motivated by approval, maybe not the approval that we are seeking from God, but because we know that when we get into our small group time and we have that fellowship time and we start talking, someone starts asking, like, how are you engaging with the Lord in prayer? I'm going to have to answer that question. So I better pray so that I can have an answer for that question. Sometimes we're motivated to pray simply because we want success. Maybe it's success at work. Maybe it's parenting success or success with our schooling or when it comes to ministry, ministry success. Lord, I'm coming to you because I want you to do something for me. Not that we don't come to the Lord with our needs and we'll talk about that. But our, our tendency can be to, to pray with some of those motives in mind. Even when we pray for revival, we can pray, God, would you bring revival? But there is a difference. Daniel Henderson said this. He said, there's a difference between seeking revival from God and seeking God for revival. So God cares about our motives, and we are to seek him. And we'll see that as we get into verse 9. But it's helpful for us to, to rightly think about Prayer And in verse 7, we're told not to heap up empty phrases when we pray as the Gentiles do, as they think they will be heard for their many words. Because God's not impressed by the number of words that we pray. And I would even say God's not impressed because we, we, we take a certain amount of time. Like, okay, this is the amount of time. If we have to take this amount of time, God's going to be impressed with me. I think we need to take time. God's not impressed with our number of words. This makes me think about when... Elijah was interacting with the prophets of Baal back in 1 Kings. If you kind of remember that story as he was confronting Ahab, the king, you know, the prophets of Baal, he was like, you know, let's, let's put this sacrifice together and you can call on your gods. And so throughout the day, the prophets of Baal, they just saying all kinds of stuff and jumping up and down and, and cutting themselves and doing all this crazy stuff, even to the point where Elijah's mocking them. And first century Gentiles weren't much different. Uh, they were those who weren't Jews, uh, but believed maybe that, that they could be heard by some kind of deity if they said a lot. But they wrongly believed that God was just distant. Maybe he's a bit temperamental, right? We're not really sure about how he's going to respond Maybe he's just going to respond quickly, and, you know, we just got to be careful with that. They thought that they could impress him with many words, believing maybe that God would need to be coerced to do something. And it's kind of noted in, 
in some, some secular uh, historians that they would, they would try to just pray a number of things, hoping that maybe some God out there, there's some God out there, if we just pray enough stuff, maybe one of them will wake up from his nap, be paying attention, and answer my prayer. So we just need to say a lot of stuff, and then maybe, maybe there's something he'll like and just hold on to it. And obviously at the root of this method is it's a wrong view of, of God. The right view of God is not that he is distant, but that he's come near. He's come near in Christ. And the right view of God is not that he's temperamental, but he is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And what's true about God is that he knows what you need before you ask him. He's completely dialed in. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He doesn't need any gyrations to be heard. He doesn't need any of your gyrations for, to hear you because God is not looking for words. He's looking for relationship. Looking for relationship. God cares about relationship, and we see a picture of that relationship in the phrase, your father knows what you need before you ask him. I mean, in the first part of that, it says, your father. God's relational, your father. Now, many of us have a tough time with that because maybe we had a poor relationship with our dad or that relationship was non-existent. But God, the father, is a good, good father. He is one who is patient. He is one who is gracious. He is one who lovingly corrects for your good, never out of his impatience, because he's completely patient. So there's a picture of an intimacy. St. Augustine said this. He said, God thirsts to be thirsted after God wants FaceTime with you. Number six, 24 to 26 says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Author Daniel Henderson said, in my understanding, to seek his face today means to set our hearts to seek him and worship with biblical understanding, submitting completely to the control of his spirit with a longing to know and enjoy him more. Again, it's not about a rehearsing of a quick list of needs with God, but seeking him because of who he is with a passion for deeper intimacy and an experience of his presence. We have many things that distract us, friends. There are many competing spectacles in our day. But if we are dialed in to the Father, we can have intimacy with him. So that phrase is, your Father knows what you need. He knows. He is worthy. He has the ability to provide for every need that you have. He's all-powerful. He spoke, and this world came into existence. He is capable 
He's so capable, he already knows what you need. I mean, even think about that reality. When you have a friend, maybe you've experienced this, where you have a friend or a family member, when you've been in need for some reason, and they come and they meet that need without you asking. They already seem to know what's going on. I find this to be true with the, with the older saints in the faith, right? As I'm struggling, they just seem to like already know. I'll, I'll cry out, like just share my heart and this burden, and they're just kind of lovingly pat me up. They, they know, and they have just the right truth to share at the right time. They already know. But your heavenly Father, how much infinitely more he knows what you need before you ask. He's dialed in, so he is worthy but it says your father knows what you need because we need. We're needy. We need him. We need him to sustain us. He knows what we need, but we're needy. And the reality is in our Western culture, we don't often think that we're needy. Although I think, we, I think it's right for us to say the praise. We're pretty needy. You know, Individuals in the West are pretty whiny because they don't always get what they want. And so we kind of use that phrase, they're needy, but here's the reality. We are needy in the, in, the, in the greater sense, the spiritual sense. We need God, and we can be blind to that reality because we have so much. Our practical needs are met. We have plenty of food to eat. We have shelter to, uh, to live in. You, you all are aware of that. And so we can often not feel that we are needy, but we are needy. We need reconciliation with God. God is worthy. I am needy. And friends, when we realize we are needy, that's when we will pray. We don't pray because we don't think that we're needy. When there are times and seasons, days, when we don't pray, and, and I felt that this week. Particular day this week, just ran into the day. Got lots to do. I realized by midday, why do I feel like I'm running on empty? Because well, I, thought I, I thought I got this. When we don't pray, we're saying we don't need you, God. And you've heard that time and again, and I don't share that to make you feel condemned or to just beat you down as a Christian. You're not praying. But we should be sobered by that. What are we saying when we don't come before God? Let, let that convict us. We don't get to benefit from the blessing, the very first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do we become poor in spirit when we realize how great our God is and how not so great we are? And that Jesus has bridged that gap. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to have intimate relationship with us, and he's provided that way through Christ. So we can know he wants that relationship. You can come to him, know this about him. And so Jesus, with that, with that in mind, Jesus says, pray then like this. He doesn't necessarily say, pray this, though we can pray these words. But he says, pray like this, in this manner. Let these guide you. Jesus is about the heart, again. We've been saying this again and again as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. God wants our 
heart. He did. As we go through this text, it would be a fail if I teach you a method and a model that you feel bound to. I've got to do it this way. No, he wants you to understand the spirit of this, some of the profound truths so that we would direct our gaze towards, towards his kingdom. And so, so Jesus starts with God. So when we go to pray, there's a simplicity in this, and he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's calling us to a reverence, to be in awe of the one that we're praying to, rather than just rushing in. And it's kind of assumed in the American culture that we should just rush in. That's why if you go to any Christian bookstore or you go online, you can find five minutes with God. It's just kind of assumed. We're, we're, we don't have enough time, so hey, you know, a little bit's better than nothing. But then, then you can even find one. There, there was one that I came across because I just, you just did a quick little search. One minute with God. One minute with God. I mean, one minute with God, I think I, think I spend more time, you know, opening the Pop-Tart and putting it in the toaster if I'm going to expect one minute with God. Now, the reality is, is there, there are times when, when life is hard. I, I'm not going to eat this in front of you. There are times where, where we're up and we got to go because our kid was up all night long or we've been traveling or there, there's something unexpected that's happened. There are times and there's sometimes where it feels like we have several weeks where that happens. So I don't want anyone to feel like, well, I'm just, I'm just not a good Christian because I haven't spent hours of time with the Lord. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to get at is, like, there are times for Pop-Tarts. <laughs> that shouldn't be a regular diet, right? I know some of the teens would disagree with me. Maybe some of you adults would disagree with me. It's not to check off a box. He wants you to be overwhelmed by him. A.W. Tozer, it's known that he said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Jesus has to start with God because he knows that when we have the right view of God, it changes the way we think about everything. In fact, it changes us. When you have a right view about God, how much anxiety is dispelled when you know that God is powerful enough to meet the need that you have? You know that God can intervene. How much more boldness have you had when you know what God has done in your life or you know what God has done in others' lives or what God has done in the great saints of old or you, how you've seen God work in the book of Acts. When you know God can do that, it builds your faith. How much more do we trust God when we meditate on his character, knowing that he's our strong tower, knowing that he's our shield? How much do we have peace when we know the God of the universe 
raises up kings and causes them to falter. God is the one that dictates all things. God is the one that's going to bring everything to its culmination in the end. He's the one that was there from the beginning. He'll be there at the end. When we stop and we think about the massiveness of God, when we think about the massiveness of God, it doesn't take us to the place of like, I'm nothing, but we, we're aware he is so grand, he can take care of this. It's the reason why, you know, this picture of when my kids were little and they didn't know how to swim, why would they run on the side of the pool like they weren't supposed to and just jump? Because I was in the pool. Or grandpa was in the pool. Or mom was in the pool. Because we, we could catch them. They, they didn't wonder. They weren't wondering, oh, am I going to drown? No. We, we experience those practical realities in our life when we understand who God is. So before we're even asking, because Jesus leads us to the place of asking. There are needs that we have that we need to ask God. Even though he knows our needs, he leads us to ask, but we must start with God. Start with him. Pray with our Bibles open. You can find God everywhere in this book, whether it's at the beginning and you learn that he's all-powerful because he created the, the world or because you get to the story of David and you see that God delivers in many places or you read through the Psalms and you realize that God brings comfort in the midst of deep, dark pain. Or if you wonder if you're worthy before God, you get to the Gospels and you read about Jesus and you see what he has done. Pray with your Bibles open so that you can see God and just address him. Father, thank you for being blank. And there's so many things that we can go if we just, if we stop and pause and take the time to come before him. Because he, he is, he is worthy. So, then there's a response. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus comes and says, your kingdom come, your will be, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a response for us. Once we, once we encounter God, our hearts are more inclined to yield to his will instead of just asking him to accomplish our will, but to yield to him. Your kingdom come. Scottish writer Robert Law said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Part of God's, the advance of God's kingdom and his kingdom coming is God changing us and us just being willing to walk through what God's called us to walk through with our, with our hands open. Lord, your will be done. This, this part's probably the hardest for me, if I'm honest. I love like learning more about God and acknowledging and praising and singing. That's fantastic. But when I get to the part, your kingdom come, your will be done. I kind of turn those words to be like, well, I just, I'm just assuming that your will, Lord, is my will. So I'm just going to pray these things, and I'm just going to assume that this is what you want to accomplish. Lord, it's not that we don't ask for great things. Certainly we do. 
want to ask God to save folks, and we want to ask God to meet our needs as we're going to talk about, but the Lord wants us to stop and yield. And we don't like to yield as Americans because we don't like people telling us what to do. It doesn't even matter what your political persuasion is. I mean, that's why people are arguing so much because no one wants to be told what to do. No one wants to listen. Let's come before the Lord, and we're going to have to slow down. It will mean taking some time. Because I find in my own life, I don't yield if I don't yield. Which means if I don't take the time, I just run in and I just assume I know what God wants. But I find when I'm wrestling, I go and I just sit before the Lord. Lord, what is it that you're doing? Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. What is your will in this situation? On occasion, I've gotten it right, but usually there's a little something wrong. I'm trying to own something. I'm trying to force something. I'm judging somebody. There's something there, but the Lord does his work when I yield to him, and the Lord wants to do his work in you. And he's not a God who's just going to force it out of you. No, he's patient. He's patient. He doesn't like, you know, if your hand's held tightly with this thing in your life, doesn't pry it out of your hand. He's, he's patient as you, you'll find the freedom of yielding to him, yielding to the Father's will. So, Father, uh, Lord, I yield to you in this situation. Lord, I ask for your wisdom in this situation. Father, I yield to you because this thing is happening to me, and I, I, don't, I want it to stop, but it just seems to keep coming at me, but I'm going to just yield to you and trust you, God, in it. I know there's, we need wisdom about how to navigate things, and there's counsel and variety of things, but, but we need to ask the question, what's the condition of our hearts? Is the, is, is the condition one of yielding to a good and loving Father or one who wants to drive forward? Church planting has exposed this like nothing else ever in my Christian life. I had visions and dreams of what it should look like. And God wanted me to grow. And it's been good for me. So our response is to yield to the Father's will. And then Jesus goes on and says in verse, verses 11 and 12, he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there are needs. We do have needs it almost seems contradictory. Jesus just said, well, he knows what you need before you ask him, but you just told us to ask him some things. Yeah, he already knows, but he still wants us to ask. He still wants us to come. He still wants us to acknowledge that he's the source of all good things, and he's the giver of those things, so we should come to him. And there are two kind of categories that we, he, he points us to to ask, resources and relationship issues. The resources, it's more than just praying for enough money to scrounge up to buy some bread or some food. Jesus is getting at all that we need to be sustained. The essence of who we are. There may be times in our future where we are praying for that needed food that, that we can't easily access. Right now, we can't. I don't know that that will always be true. I know our brothers and sisters in other countries right now Six months ago, that was true for them, that they could access it whenever they wanted, but today they can't. 
but we can, we can have the heart of that as we seek the Lord. And then with relationship issues, verse 12 talks about forgiveness, and we're going to talk more about forgiveness when we get to verses 14 and 15 in a few weeks. But briefly, we, even though we're not digging deeper into that, there is a, there's an expectation of having a pattern of confession in our times with the Lord. Not that we should be on a sin hunt, but yet coming humbly before the Lord and just acknowledging, Father, I have sinned. Just simply asking the question, Lord, where, where have I sinned? You don't have to spend an, you know, an inordinate amount of time trying to look for something that's not there. I just find that when I ask the question, the Lord makes it clear. Maybe I was impatient at home, or maybe I said something unkind in an interaction with someone. Maybe I was impatient when I was driving or at the store. There's any number of things. That when, I, when I pause, it just helps me to come and to know the forgiveness that's found in Christ because I confess that and I experience the forgiveness that, that he gives. And when I realize how much I have been forgiven, then when I'm tempted to hold on to that thing that's been done to me, because we are tempted. A good friend, Ben Hurt, said, it's easier to feel like someone owes you than to release the debt. It's easier. Like, oh, we just kind of hold on to that thing. But the way we say, Father, I want to forgive that is when we know how much we've been forgiven. That's what's going to help us to forgive is being aware of what we have done and aware that we have been forgiven. So there's a process there. So it's having a pattern of confession and repentance and being aware of the glorious gospel every single day. It shouldn't be in a place where just like, ah, I just stink as a Christian. No, we should come to the place of our God is good. He's merciful and kind. That's where we should be when it comes to confession. So it is coming and saying, Father, is there a place that I have sinned that I have not been aware of? Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay for that sin. Forgive me of that. Open a door for me to have that conversation if I need to make it right. Or Lord, help me. Help me to see how great I, how much I have been forgiven so I can forgive that individual who's done blank. And you know who that is in your life. You know who that is. Jesus is calling us to this kind of intimacy, living in, with, with our hearts towards God. Because in, in heaven, there's not going to be this bitterness. Like, we're going to fully realize the forgiveness that we have received there's going to be this freedom, and so he wants us to direct our gaze towards the kingdom as we pray to experience his kingdom now. And before he closes this guide to prayer, he wants us to be ready because there are trials and temptations that we need to navigate, but he goes before us in the temptations of life. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations say, but deliver us from the evil one. When we spend this time with the Lord, we recognize our inability to navigate the trials of life. 
Sometimes we try to navigate the trials of life without God, but we realize the crushing nature of temptations that come. And we're called to fight the good fight, to finish the race. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we don't do it on our own. He doesn't leave us to our own. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows it's going to be a trial, and he wants to help. That's why we pray. We, we get help when we pray. And you know that experience where you know temptation is coming. You pray, Lord, lead me not in temptation. Help me, Lord, not to fall into that temptation. When we have our eyes in front of us, we prepare our hearts in prayer. And then when we walk out into life, we're kind of, we're kind of on guard. We're aware. But we're also aware that God is there to help. Because trials are going to come. Jesus prayed this over his disciples, and I think not just over his disciples in that day, but all of his disciples, including us. When he prayed in John 17, 15, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus, Jesus prayed this prayer when he prayed before he went to the cross. And we want to pray this prayer. Lord, I'm being tempted to. You fill in the blank. Lord, deliver me from this evil that seems to be coming my way. And I, I feel we need to be preparing ourselves and understanding this because some of the temptations that are going to come our way are going to be far worse than anything we have ever experienced to this day in our life. Yes, we have had, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize any temptations. I'm not trying to minimize any hurt that you've experienced. But as the world becomes more hostile to those who are found in Christ, we're going to experience the effects, the pursuit of the evil one trying to crush us. May this, may, may our heart not be to deal with a horizontal situation but to war in the heavenlies, to put on the full armor of God, as it says in Ephesians, and trust that God is going to go before us. And then as we, as we close our time of prayer, may we direct ourselves Godward. Now, in, in this particular translation, these words may be from the past. If you've read the King James or some other translations, it ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Some footnote it because it's not in some of the earliest manuscripts, but here's the reality. These words are true in other parts of Scripture. So whether they are exactly in this spot or not, they are true. All things are his. So when we when we end our time, let's, rather than ending it, okay, now I gotta go muscle it out. We know we end it. Lord, it's all yours. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You, you were there from the beginning. You will be there at the end. When you, when you go into your day or when you get up from prayer, if it's prayers at 11 o'clock at night, you know he was there from the beginning. He's gonna be there at the end and he is the one who said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So we leave praising the one that we started praising. Now remember, again, I want to share that Jesus says this. We come before 
God to pray because of what Jesus has done. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We do this all because of Christ. Remember, the one who's sharing this is the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples didn't even know at that time the significance of the fact that they could pray this prayer because of what he was going to do. But you can pray this because of what he was going to because of what he has done. Don't ever believe the lie that Satan wants to tell you that you aren't good enough, so don't come in prayer. You can say, Yeah, I am not. But because of Jesus, I'm with him, and so I can come. When you don't feel like it, you can come. When you feel like everything just seems to be pressing against you, you can come because Jesus made the way. So you aren't hindered in any way from coming if we just come humbly and direct our hearts towards him. And I think J.R. Packer has a, a helpful statement about this text, lest we fall into the temptation of, okay, now we have a pattern, we now have a method, I've heard some things, if I do all these things, now I'm finally gonna get it right as a Christian. Remember, Jesus wants your heart. So this is what J.R. Packer says. He says, each Christian's prayer life, like every good marriage, has in it common factors about which one can generalize and also uniquenesses which no other Christian's prayer life will quite match. You are and I am. You are you and I am I. And we must each find our own way with God. And there is no recipe for prayer that can work for us like a handyman's do-it-yourself manual or a cookery book. Where the claim is that if you follow the instruction, you can't go wrong. That's, that's what happens in those books. Praying is not like a carpentry or cookery. It is the active exercise of personal relationship, a kind of friendship with the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. And the way it goes is more under divine control than under ours. Books on prayer, like marriage manuals, are not to be treated with slavish superstition as if perfection of technique is the answer to all difficulties. Their purpose, rather, is to suggest things to try. But as in other close relationships, so in prayer, you have to find out by trial and error what is right for you, and you learn to pray by praying. You learn to pray by praying. You, before the sovereign king of the universe, learn to pray by engaging with him. Jesus starts with telling us, don't, don't worry about what others think because this is, this is about you and your heavenly father. It's not supposed to look like what it looks like for your spouse or for your, those in your small group. There can be this temptation when you're around and uh, maybe a more mature Christian, you be like, I don't pray like them. I, you know, I just, I just don't have it. No, Jesus, God's not sitting there going, oh man, I just wish that she would get it. This is really kind of annoying. Would you just pray like them over there? God doesn't do that. In the same way that a parent welcomes each and every child just as eagerly, God welcomes you. 
So come as you are. This is a guide. There's some deep truths here that we want them to, to have drip into our souls and to put into practice. But what they look like for you might be look, like, look different what they do for me, but some of the, but the principles are going to be there. Let's amaze ourselves with who God is. Let's humble ourselves before him. Let's submit to his will. Let's ask him to meet the needs that we have. Let's trust that he can because he's, he already knows it. Let's forgive others because we've been forgiven much and know that we're forgiven. Let's trust that he's going to go before us. These are the categories for you too. And we have to slow down and we have to stop and we have to take time and we're going to do that right now. So I'm going to pray for us. But then we're going to take some time and we're going to, we're going to sing a song and then, and then I'm going to come up and, and read a part of this and then we're going to just take time to engage with God. I know for some it might feel a bit wooden. You're like, oh, like there's other people around. I'm not asking you to pray out loud. I mean, you pray to yourself. You can pray without opening your mouth. You can pray quietly where you're at. But let's engage with God because you can engage with God anywhere, anywhere on the planet, any time of day. You can engage with God, so why not here? So let's spend some time in prayer engaging with God now. Just And for some of you, this may be brand new. Okay, I'm going to try something new here. So let's pray. Father, our Father who art in heaven, Lord, we come before you right now and I'm aware that temptation, even for me, is to just go and I've got now this, this method that I need to do and some, some new boxes that I need to check off and I'm already exhausted with, with my life and, and feeling discouraged. Father, would you, would you help us this morning to see the spirit behind what Jesus has said? And know that you want to have intimacy with us. And we can have intimacy with you. And we can have it right now. So I pray, God, that you would lead us right now as we want to encounter you. And set us a course, a trajectory for, for our times with you each and every day. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we... As we walk through this time, you, when, when we sing, you can stand if that would serve you to stand. Um, but for you, if, if you're like, that's just going to distract me and you need to sit and sing, you can sit and sing. It's not about going, oh, I saw Jamie stand up, so I got to stand up. No, I don't want you to be worried about me. I want you to engage with God who wants to engage with you. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song. I'm going to stand, but you don't have to stand. And then I'm going to come read the scripture, and then we're just going to engage with God right now. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.